Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, have you ever seen uh, one of those pictures of dogs that have been rescued and they have the before and the after uh, that they were adopted. It's always a remarkable transformation, isn't it? You wanna see one? All right, here's one, here's an article I found on uh, goodhousekeeping.com. This is Neely, uh, AKA also known as Boo, was saved by Florida-based Cares Rescue, discovered in the street near one of the group's meet and greet events. A lot of grooming and some TLC, that's tender loving care, turned her into a whole new pup. Now she is living the sweet life in Tampa, Florida. Woo! Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Isn't she cute? All right. I also found this uh, in Best Life magazine online about uh, if you're thinking about adopting a rescue dog, here's uh, some tips that they have. Uh, Quote, most pets don't end up in shelters because they're bad shelter dog. Behavior is the reason at times, but it's not the top one, says Kenny Lamberti, the vice president of companion animals at the Humane Society of the United States. Instead, the main reason why people surrender their animals is due to housing issues, such as they move into a building that doesn't allow pets, or it has restrictions on certain breeds, or they're forced to relocate due to work issues. Caviani echoes this statement, saying it's a small percentage of shelter dogs that are returned for behavior problems. Number two, they need time to adjust. Taking any dog, but especially a shelter dog, into a new environment uh, may be a bit of shock for the dog at first. As a result, they may initially appear overly shy or anxious in their new surroundings. Dogs, they're like humans. They adjust to change in different ways, right? Don't we do that? A lot of dogs, they may just need some time to ease in, says Mike Caviani, director of life-saving operations for Austin Pets Alive. Number three, avoid trigger stacking. Triggers are anything that can cause a dog anxiety. So Caviani says they always stress people not to trigger stack or put the dog in any sort of anxiety-inducing situations beyond uh, the new home and a new family. A lot of people think uh, who take home a new dog, they're so stoked to have a new dog and they're looking forward to all the things they can do with their new dog. Um, but common triggering activities to avoid with a new dog are throwing a party and inviting lots of strangers over or taking the dog to a dog park or groomers, right? They might not be ready for that. Number four, separation anxiety is common. Although not exclusive to shelter dogs, Caviani says separation anxiety can be one of the more common behavioral challenges with rescue dogs due to whatever has resulted in them being rehomed. So owners should take steps to show the dogs, as Caviani puts it, you might have been abandoned in a previous uh, stage in your life. You may have lost your previous home, but you're not going to lose our home. 
I like that. Some of the steps that Caviani recommends taking are leaving music on, giving the dog a food-filled puzzle toy to keep them happy and occupied while they're alone, and slowly and diligently working on how long the dog is left alone in order for them to ease into longer and longer periods of time alone. To show them that you come home every time, to show them uh, that you care. Uh, you will be a hero is point number five. Anyone who's been to an animal shelter and seen these dogs staring up at you from their cages can tell you it's an incredible act of compassion to take home uh, a homeless, lonely animal and give them a happy home, unquote. Isn't that beautiful? I thought that was nice. So let's imagine that, you know, armed, we've read this article, right? Uh, and you go and you adopt a, a rescue dog, right? And so what do you do? You park the car. And inside, you hear something. What do you hear? Ruff, 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 right? The cry of the nice doggos inside. Okay. And uh, what do they sound like? Yeah. I'd like to see the. I'd like to see Kathy translate that. I'm giving you some challenges. Okay. Uh, so uh, you park the car, and inside you hear uh, the roof, roof. And you walk in, and what do you do? You got to tell them who you are. So how do you tell them who you are? You show them your ID. Ah, okay, so they, they do a background check. They know you're, you're legit, right? You know, you're a good person, right? Because you don't want uh, any old person, you know, adopting the dog, right? Makes sense. You still with me? Okay, and then uh, you pick out the one that you feel a connection to and you take them out of their cage and then you bring them to the front and you sign them out and now, they're free, right? And then you take the doggo home, and what do you do? Probably clean him up, probably feed him, probably take care of him, and that's why it went from picture A to picture B, right? With little little boo there, okay? You take care of him, and then he is officially yours in the house, okay? So why are we imagining this scenario with rescue dogs? Why would I bring this up? Well, there is a method to my madness. I hope you. I hope you're. <laughs> hope you're still with me here, because this is what happens in this week's parsha. You believe me? <laughs> okay. So uh, this week we come across Moses and and God uh, near the beginning of the Exodus from the Egypt narrative. This scripture um, that we're going to look at is where the rabbis say the four cups of Passover come from. How many of you heard of the, the four cups that we use during the Passover Seder? Quick uh, show of hands. All right. So this is from uh, the Everett Fox translation of Exodus 6, verses 5 through 7. This is really, really beautiful. God spoke to Moshe. He said to him, I am, and then there's the name of God, yud heh vav -Heh, um, which uh, you can see it on the screen. I'm going to say Adonai. Uh, I was seen by Avraham, by Yitzhak, and by Yaakov as God Shaddai, but by my name, Adonai, I was not known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings where they had sojourned. And I have also heard the moaning of the children of Israel, whom Egypt is holding in servitude, and I have called to mind my covenant, right? Often translations say, I remembered my covenant, but it means God called it to mind. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am Hashem, I am Adonai, there's the name of God. Number one, what's he going to do? 
Let's say it all together. I will bring you out from beneath the burdens of Egypt. Number two, I will rescue you from servitude to them. You guys sound great. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And number four, I will take you for me as a people, and I will be for you, God, and you shall know that I am Adonai, your God, who brings you out from beneath the burdens of Egypt. Isn't that beautiful? So just like our imagined uh, doggo adoption, God hears our cries of bondage, right? Ruff, 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 ruff. God presents his ID. What's his ID? His name, his reputation to Moses. He was known as the God of creation in Genesis. He was known as the God that makes covenants. The God who provided El Shaddai. We talked about that last week. But now he has a new ID. He is the God who makes good on that covenant. He actually saves people, right? He responds to this covenant that he made and he acts upon it. This is a new thing. It's like a new ID, a new identity. Does that make sense? The first time I went to Israel, I was in my late 20s and uh, I had a passport that I used, um, but the ID, the picture on it didn't really look like me anymore because I think it was, it was around uh, my, my early 20s that I got it, maybe right after. So it was still, the passport was still good, right? But I, I didn't look the same as I looked when I was like 19, right? <laughs> I, looked, I looked different. And uh, if any of you have ever traveled to Israel, you know that the security does not mess around. Is that right? The Moors? Yes. Okay. So uh, they looked at my, uh, my ID, my passport. They looked at me and they're like, wait, this doesn't look like you. Right? And they pulled me aside for all these questions. Right? Why, why are you going to Israel? Right? Tell me about a Hanukkah memory you had. Do you have any relatives in Israel? Where were you the night of the 32nd of February, 1999? Ha, trick question. There is no such date. They, they interrogated me. Eventually, they figured out that I was just a, a harmless tourist, uh, which I was, uh, and they let me in. And then when I came back to the US, same issue, right? They looked at the thing, this doesn't look like you. But by then, <laughs> I had learned a few, Hebrew, a few Hebrew phrases and a little bit of uh, Hebrew. So I said, I told the Israeli security, I said, Ze'ani katan, akshav ani gadol, which is like, this is little me, now I'm, I'm big me. And uh, apparently because uh, I said it in Hebrew, they're like, okay, this guy's okay. And they just, just let me in. That was all it took. So most commentators say that the four-letter name of God, the yud heh vav -Hey, was literally known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they kind of knew about it. But the reputation, the full knowledge of who God was, was not yet revealed. What happened? They were working with the same God, but they had an old ID. They had an old passport. Now God to Moses was presenting his new ID to, uh, to show that God not only creates life and order in the Genesis story, but he makes good on the promises 
the ones that he, the covenants that he made with Abraham. And uh, this is the God that we are uh, revealed to, that he's revealed to us in the Exodus story. So it's kind of a new name in a sense. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? So the Exodus story is, is a continuation of the Genesis story, but it furthers the revelation right? It's like the next chapter in who God is. It's a new revelation on the identity of God. So in Genesis, God creates and God makes promises. And in Exodus, God fulfills those promises and he rescues and saves. Uh, not, only, uh, not only that, but uh, we, he's got a new ID, right? Just like uh, I eventually had to do and, and looked, looked much more like me. Um, here labeled one, two, three, and four. You notice when we read the, the, the scripture, uh, those are the actions that God is going to do. And that's, uh, what the four cups of Passover are based on. And we can remember, uh, the easiest way I can think to remember this is T-R-R-T. Can you say that after me? T-R-R-T. So number one, I'm going to take you out, which is uh, the verb yatsa. Um, it's the same verb as motzi, right? When we say the motzi, who brings out, brings forth bread from the earth. Number two, I'm going to rescue you. So T-R, that's the verb not Saul. Uh, number three, I'm going to redeem you, which is ga'al, right? And number four, I'm going to take you to be mine. All right? So close your eyes for a minute. What's the, what's the letters that we need to remember? T-R-R-T. What is God going to do? Take you out, rescue you, redeem you, and take you to be mine. Lakach. Okay. Very good. That was good. As we mentioned, this is the most common interpretation of the four cups in the Passover Seder. Number one is the cup of sanctification. I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, the cup of deliverance, right? I will rescue you from their bondage. Number three, the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And number four, the cup of praise. I will take you as my people um, to be mine. The first verb, as I mentioned, is the, is the motzi verb, right? The same one we use for, for the motzi, for bread, right? Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who does what? Brings forth bread from the earth. Thinking of that, that first time you bring that little doggo out of the cage, right? Or bringing forth the harvest of wheat from the earth to make sustenance. This is what this verb means. God is saying, I'm going to bring you out of that slavery and that mindset and those gods and that other system and the evil of Pharaoh. I'm taking you out of that, right? Then you have Natsal, which is deliver, save, rescue. When Jacob was about to confront his brother Esau, whom he had cheated, uh, he asked God to Natsal him, to deliver him, rescue him from the hand of his brother. God is saying, I'm going to rescue you, deliver you from the hand of Pharaoh. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to T and then I'm going to do what? R, rescue, take out and rescue. Okay. And the third statement is I will 
redeem you. This is very, very powerful. Um, this is a great word. It corresponds to the third cup and uses, uh, do you remember the Hebrew word? Ga'al, very good. Redemption. This is uh, the first time that it comes from the mouth of God, uh, this, this word. The only earlier example comes from the mouth of Jacob when he's blessing Ephraim Menashe and Menashe, which I spoke about a few weeks ago, right? Uh, this is what it says. Jacob says, the God in whose presence my fathers Avraham and Yitzhak lived, the God who has been my own shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has rescued or redeemed me from all harm, bless these boys. And uh, it's the word Ga'al that he's using there. And the, the redemption in the life of Jacob, we know Jacob's life, right? So what does it mean? It means that God plays the long game with redemption narratives. Think about the life of Jacob up to this point. The Redeemer God wrestled with Jacob, right? Hence the, the angel reference. And he brought reconciliation and he saved him. He rescued him, not Saul, from the wrath of his brother Esau. And he brought Joseph, his son, back from death in a sense, right? He resurrected his own son and he enabled him to bless Joseph's son. So he enabled him to bless even his grandchildren. So this is what we mean by Ga'al. This is what we mean by redemption. The Redeemer God rescues not only from suffering, but also through suffering and brings about a redemptive uh, result at the end. Just like the life of Job. Amen? Amen? All right. I like this definition from the Bible dictionary. This is uh, what it says about redemption. The release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. Let me read that again. The release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. If you're familiar with the story of Ruth, Boaz is her goel, her redeemer, sometimes translated kinsman redeemer because it's a redeemer that's related to the family. Uh, what does he do? He marries Ruth. And he keeps the land within the tribe of, uh, of her mother-in-law, of, of Naomi, and uh, shows, uh, shows loving faithfulness to Ruth and to his mother-in-law. This is uh, the redemption, the redemptive act of Boaz in the story. And in the first story of, of our doggo, this is uh, when we clean him up right? Where the dog is nourished and he's thriving now and he's in a good loving home where his value and his belonging shine through like the picture on the right. Uh, and thus the name and identity of God uh, revealed in scripture are uh, an important part of the redemptive narrative of Exodus. We also think about Yeshua, right? His name or identity, his ID is a, is a word in Hebrew. If you add a hey to it, it means salvation, it means rescuing, it means redemption. It fits into this story perfectly, right? When the apostles begin to share the story, the gospel of Yeshua in Acts uh, chapter four, this is how Peter puts it. He says, there is salvation, rescuing, redemption in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. 
Amen. The Greek word here for salvation is soteria, and it's often translated uh, from uh, Yeshua with the final hey in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. So in other words, all these words are related in their meanings. And uh, Yeshua is the fullness of the name of God made manifest, and therefore his name and identity can be above every other name and identity. And all, and one day, all things will be under the feet of Messiah, right? And we'll come back to this idea later. The final statement, the fourth statement is, so we have, I will T, take you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And I will take you to be mine, right? I'll take you to as my people. It describes a kind of intimacy, doesn't it? Between Israel and God. It's like a marriage. Notice the language goes from kingship to courtship, from a rescuing king to a kinsman redeemer, a husband to Israel, like Boaz is to Ruth. I will be God for you. I will be your God. Is like the song of songs, love message, right here to my right. What does it say? Ani ladodi vidodi li. This is a chuppah. This is a marriage canopy. And it means I am my beloved's and he is mine. It's this kind of language that we see in the fourth statement from God, right? Exodus 6 7 says this in Hebrew. Right? And here's my translation. I will take you to me as a people, and I will be yours for you as God, and you will know that I am your God. Right? And there we have the, 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 the Hebrew word yada, right? Which is not just knowing a fact, but it's an intimate knowing, right? Um, in our original story, this is when the dog belongs to you, right? That's when it's part of your family. Those of you who have been to a Passover Seder, you know there's not just four cups. How many are there? There's a fifth cup. It's cup number five. Whose cup is that? Elijah. Elijah symbolizes the messianic age, right? The world to come. That's why we open the door for Elijah and we anticipate the, the, the world to come and, uh, and the Messiah. In, in, in mainstream Judaism, they're, they're anticipating the Messiah. And we're in messianic Judaism, we're just saying, well, we're also anticipating the Messiah, but we're saying he's going to come back, <laughs> right? He's been here before, and now he's going to come back. But it's we're waiting for the same, uh, we're waiting for the same person, Yeshua the Messiah. And so um, this is uh, what the rabbi saw as the fifth cup, because there's actually a fifth statement that God makes in Exodus six eight. This is the next verse after that I didn't read before. So I, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and give it to you as an inheritance. I am Adonai. It's the fifth statement. 
So the fullness of the rescuing and the redeeming and the taking out and the taking you to be my people, what's the end of that story? Actually entering into the land, which points to the time when all things will be under Messiah and he will reign over all. This is similar to what is described as the end result of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. And I want us to see try to make a connection to how this relates. Um, but now Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah will all be made alive. But each in its own order, Messiah, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Messiah, then at the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Right. And we think of we think of Pharaoh. Right. We think of the evil that God is going to conquer on that day. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection underneath his feet. But when the psalmist says that all has been put in subjection, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put all things under Messiah. Now, when all things become subject to him, then the son himself will also become subject to the one who put all things under him so that God may be all in all. And this is kind of a describing the mystery of the triune nature of God. But we see that all things are under Messiah's feet and that he has the identity the ID, right, of Yeshua, which is salvation. And so he shares in the identity of the God of Israel. This indicates that we're looking toward a final exodus, right? A full redemption, a new heaven and a new earth. A lot of historic Christianity focuses on us going to heaven when we die, which is true, but it's not necessarily the focus of the Bible. A more Messianic Jewish point of view is to focus on God ruling and reigning in the new Jerusalem on earth, a renewed land that we inherit, right? The perfection of all things under Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua said to pray on earth as it is in heaven. The first line of the Bible says, this is the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That tells you that this entire book is about these two realms, heaven and earth. And they're in one place in the Garden of Eden, and then they're separated for a time. And then the rest of the Bible is God bringing them back together again, right? On earth as it is in heaven. That's what we see in the tabernacle. That's what we see in the temple. That's what we see when Yeshua comes. That's what we see through the Holy Spirit right? So when we pray for people and they become healed, and then we proclaim that healing to the congregation, that's heaven on earth, right? That's the kingdom of heaven breaking into this earth because there's nobody sick or dying in heaven, right? There's no disease. There's nobody crying there. So when God brings healing, he's bringing a piece of that kingdom. He's colliding the two kingdoms, right? And so that is the end result of, of the Bible as I read it. And I think it's a, it's a faithful Messianic Jewish reading. Um, so where was I? I kind of got, uh, 
I got, I got a little excited there. Okay. <laughs> Let me look here. So the new land that we inherit is the perfection of all things on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, the center of the land of Israel is what? Jerusalem, right? Our, our synagogue, our entire synagogue is facing toward Israel. It's facing east toward Jerusalem. So this is naturally the focus in the book of Revelation which describes the end of the ages. And this is what it says. This is Revelation 21, starting in the first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That refers to the, the waters of chaos, um, like the sea that we walked through in uh, the Red Sea, or the, the waters of chaos that arose in the time of the flood. Um, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, not the old one, the new one. It's got a new ID, right? Okay. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men, and he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them and be their God. Sounds like the fourth promise, doesn't it? Sounds like the fourth thing that God is going to do in the Exodus story. But this is like the real Exodus, right? The final Exodus, the fullness of that story. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Sounds like heaven on earth, right? And there shall be no more mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away. The one seated upon the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, right, for these words are trustworthy and true. After all of that beautiful revelation and description of what God was going to do in just those few verses, we just read Exodus 6 verses 5 through 7, and then we read verse 8. How do you think the children of Israel were going to respond to that? Do you think they would perk up? Do you think they'd be encouraged? Well, this is what actually happened. This is the very next verse. This is Exodus 6, uh, verse 9. Moses spoke this way to B'nai Israel. He told them all these things, but they did not listen to him. Why? Because of their broken spirit and cruel bondage. You know, sometimes we can't even receive revelation because we're so broken. We're hurting so much. We're under so much pressure. But guess what? God still did it. He still rescued them. And he's still going to rescue you. Even if you can't receive the encouragement, or you don't think you can receive the encouragement because you're just going through so much. Maybe 2021 was just, you know, a really bad year for you. It was for, for a lot of us. Well, take heart. Even if you can't receive the encouragement, he's still going to do it because he's that faithful. And we might feel similar to the Israelites. We might feel like we have a broken spirit or just weighed down by life. And I just want to encourage us to remember, remember what God has done and remember what he will do and to hold on to the promises of God. It's okay. It's okay if it doesn't filter all the way into your heart because he's still going to do it. But we need to try to hold on to them as best we can, right? Because that's going to anchor us to the promises of God, right? He is faithful. 
And what does he say? What are, what are the promises of God? He says, don't fear. He says, I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I have told you these, these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's putting all things under his feet, remember. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him, though he may stumble. We all stumble, right? He will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Messiah's power may rest on me. That is why, for Messiah's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Avinu, Father, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you for the Exodus story. Thank you that even when we can't receive it, even when we can't hear, we can't shema, it says just a few verses ago that you are the Lord who hears. You hear, you shema us, even if we can't shema to you. How ironic that is, <laughs> Lord. You're so faithful and so good. And so we ask that you help us to hold on to these promises and to, to not only to the ones that I spoke, but to other promises in your word that we would dig into them uh, in the year 2022 and uh, that we would see your goodness and uh, that you would encourage us, encourage our inner person um, by your Ruach HaKodesh and help us to put our trust in you, that you are the God that takes us out from those things, uh, from, from the slavery of sin, that you rescue us from, uh, from evil and from death, that you uh, redeem us and clean us up and, uh, and you take us to be yours, we are, in a sense, uh, your bride. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And then at some point, you're going to bring us into your, into your land. And the fullness of the kingdom will break into uh, the kingdom of earth. And we're looking forward to that, Lord. And we ask um, and we pray and we work for 
that now even on earth as it is in heaven and we trust you lord and uh, for those of us that are too broken to to be encouraged lord i pray that you would encourage us anyway and uh, that we would hold on to your promises and that you would heal us and in yeshua's name we pray amen